Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day and a conversation that brings uh, educational leaders to you. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. Uh, today, uh, today, once again, we will also be ta- having our chat room open and taking calls from uh, from you. I will now ask uh, Kurt to explain how the process will work. I love to, Ray. To call in, dial 1347-989-8904. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log on to. We will be monitoring the chat room and will pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Kurt. Um, I hope I had some little disturbance in my radio. I'm not sure if other people heard that. Um, t- today, uh, for the first time, uh, as most of you know, uh, we had school board elections in November, and the vast majority of boards uh, had their elections in November, which means they're going to be reorganizing according to the law in January, which is a different time of the year for us to be reorganizing. Um, and if, is that different than their April reorganization? We'll talk about some of those decisions. With me, uh, I have two members of NJSBA staff. First, I have uh, Terry Lewis, who is a field service representative in the southern region of the state. Welcome, Terry. Good morning, Ray. Uh, and also I have with me uh, Mike Calver, who's the Director of Legal Policy and Labor Relations for New Jersey School Board Association. Welcome, Mike. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Terry. Uh, Mike, let's do some very basic stuff. Um, how does the reorganization – let's get to the date, though, first, the timeline for when does the board have to reorganize under the new law? Well, one of the – under the under the new law for a November election, uh, the reorgan the organization of the new board occurs in the first week of January. That's the straight language in the law. Now, of course, the next question becomes, what does that? Mean? If you look at the calendar, you could look at, at and say, well, that looks like January one to January five, because that's the first week. It doesn't say the first full week, which would be the sixth through the twelfth, and. Interestingly, unlike the April reorg meetings, it's a one-week period, not a two-week period. After a lot of discussion debate, the Department of Ed has come out with guidance that says they're going to interpret the phrase the first week in January as being January 1 to January 7. There's another oh. provision law. I'm sorry, go ahead, Greg. No, no, I thought you were stopping. Just keep going. Okay, there's a, another provision in the law that speaks to what happens if you schedule your meeting during that time period and because of weather, because of lack of a quorum, or otherwise that meeting doesn't take place. And that's certainly likely a likely occurrence in January with snowstorms and things of that nature. We may run into that. It does say you can hold the organization meeting within three days thereafter, 
advertise that pursuant to the Sunshine Law. And what might be the best way to do that, the most efficient way, would be in your advertising to say we're going to hold the meeting, for instance, on January 7th. If we have to cancel because of weather or lack of a quorum, the board will then meet on and pick your date, January 10th which would seem to comply with the Sunshine Law requirements. We're in a new world here, so we're all kind of finding our way. All right. I'm a new board member. Uh, and so how does a, a reorganization meeting start? Because you have people who are not even officially on the board yet. Good point. I mean, and, and nor, do you ha nor do you have officers in place. Typically right. what happens is the school business administrator acts as a chairperson uh, – pro tem, a temporary chairperson, to open the meeting. Um, call the roll, do what you need to do, swear in the new board members, and that's typically the first order of business, which would then be followed by one of the few things that are absolutely required, which would be elect the election of the president and vice president. Um, I'm going to take a step back to the swearing in of board members because we get a lot of questions about that. There's a particular oath of office. There's a document to be signed. It gets filed with the board secretary occurs typically at the board meeting. We'll get questions, can I get sworn in before the meeting? And I think the simple answer to that is no, because the terms of the former board members do not expire until the new board organizes. So there is no seat to be sworn into until the date of the organization meeting. And who swears them in? Well, the board secretary has the ability to do that. They're, they're like, uh, authorized to take oaths under statute. So that's probably the most common situation where it occurs at the public meeting in public. However, uh, nothing prevents another person who is authorized to take oaths, like a notary public, like an attorney, um, to swear in a particular board member. Sometimes we'll see family members that will want to do it that way just for the, the family aspect of another ceremony of it. We get questions about sometimes when people aren't present at their organization meeting and perhaps they're in another jurisdiction, can someone else in that jurisdiction swear them in? And I think the answer is as long as they're licensed to take oaths and they comply with all of the requirements of that jurisdiction and execute the document board secretary meetings, nothing would prevent that from occurring in another jurisdiction, but not uh, before the board meeting takes place. Right. Now, Mike, uh, you said order Ray? of business. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. Before you move on, could we revisit that? Because I have, um, believe it or not, I have a couple board members that I need to call back today uh, with the answer to this question. So we've had a long time, let's say from September until December, with the November election period, and we've had some board members resign or leave the board in that period, which has left it open for appointments. Um, I know of a couple boards that are actually going to be appointing board members at the reorganization meeting. So what would be the order that they can do things? Can they um, uh, swear in new members, appoint new board members, and then elect? vice president and president, or is there uh, the law speak to any particular order that this has to happen in? Mike, that's a good question. I, I'm assuming, Terry, the the people who they want to appoint are not – we're not up in a November election. Right. You know, and if you'll remember, um, you had to have your petitions in by early – uh, by June. Right. And any 
uh, open seats had to have petitions in by September. Um, and because that was such a, uh, a big window that people were not accustomed to, um, there were some open seats out there that actually have appointments that are ready to be made. Mike, what order would they have to yeah. do? The swearing in a new board member or the fill in the vacancy? I, I think it would be logical to fill the vacancy first. I don't think there's anything in statute or code that would decide what order you do that in. But I, as long as you get that done before you um, take on any public business, like the election of the president or vice president, probably doesn't make a, a difference. The 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 former math teacher in me, the logical progression for me said, I think we feel or from the old something that occurred between September 7th and now, because the interesting piece is that person's going to serve as a board member until the next election, November 2013. Right. So they will be a, a, a previously, and then you go to the ones who have elected and get them sworn in. Um, if you did it the other way around, I don't think there's anything illegal with that. But just sworn into office. Okay, um, Mike. Sometimes I'm losing you. You, you. you go in and out. I'm not sure if it's your microphone or not. Um, Terry, while we're on new board members, and I still want to get back to the election of the board president. Uh, this, coming in in January is new for school districts. Um, you know, uh, there's certain business that is going on, and I'll, I'll throw out two. Uh, the budget preparation for the school is, has already begun, and they will shortly thereafter be part of the CSA about the evaluation of the superintendent. How can a new board member get up to speed on that, or what can the, the board do? You know, Ray, you're, you're absolutely correct, because in the winter months, you know, starting in January, those are two of the big initiatives that the board actually starts their process work on. You know, and let's kind of separate them a little bit. One is the superintendent evaluation, and usually towards the end of January, boards will sit down and talk about the process that they're going to use to evaluate their superintendent, you know, what instruments they're going to use, what the timeline is for the process, because there is a statutory deadline of April 30th to have that work completed. So new board members coming in, Consequently, probably their first or second meeting, they're going to hear about the evaluation of the superintendent and wonder, how can I participate in that? Um, whether you use our uh, evaluation tools or whether you use your own, we think that you should leave a provision in there um, so that if, uh, and ours already has it in there, if I'm a new board member and I've not been able to observe some of the leadership skills because I'm new, then I should have the opportunity to say, yes, you know, I've not observed this, but I can participate in, in, in the remainder of it. You know, as, as board members, they're entitled to participate if they so choose. They can also turn around and say, you know what, I feel as though I'm new um, and I don't have a lot to contribute to this, so, you know, I'd rather abstain at this point in time. It's their so choice. It's their choice, and, and, uh, and the board will have to work with whatever their decision is. Yeah, and, and I think the board is really going to have to review how it hands out certain information now in regards to the CSA evaluation. You know, it really starts back in, the, in, in June with the goal setting because superintendents are evaluated on their progress towards district goals. 
So we need to make sure that new board members coming in know what those goals are so that they know what we're evaluating superintendents on. Okay. And now uh, in the budget process, it's not like an option of pulling yourself out as easily. Uh, so they just have to be brought up to speed as to what was happening? Yeah, they should. Budget de- budget development is already underway, and most boards um, have uh, are presented with a preliminary budget by their administration at their February meetings. Um, it is important that you bring them up to speed, let them know the parameters that the board has already set, um, and see if there is, uh, you know, any input that they can provide according to those parameters. Um, I think initially, what needs to happen is. A new board member should probably contact the current board president and and the superintendent and say, you know what, let's have a sit down, and and so I can talk about these and find out, you know, where we are and and things that I need to know in order to be effective in my first couple of meetings. A lot of the districts that I deal with, most of the board presidents have already reached out to new board members, and they've already scheduled meetings so that they can get them, you know, up to date uh, with right. the information that they're going to need moving forward. Um, Ray, can, can I add a piece to that before we move on? Before we move mm-hmm. on, just I want to make one. We're talking with Mike Calvert and Terry Lewis uh, on board reorganization. Uh, if you want to ask a question, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and then press one, and our switchboard will uh, get your question and you can ask it. Okay, Mike, finish. I mean, following up on both the CSA eval and also the budget development process, one of the unique aspects that we're working with right now is essentially a two-month lame duck period uh, that we didn't have, we don't have in the April election. It can be as short as a week. It can be two weeks. But this is two months, maybe even a little bit more. We've had questions of, well, can the board members elect get involved in some of these processes before they actually get sworn in? And the the answer to that question is is my favorite legal answer is it depends. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about budget development, if if a board is comfortable with the new board members coming on, because we're not necessarily talking about confidential information for the most part, um, if a board is comfortable with allowing those folks to sit in. Now, granted, they're not board members at that point. The old board is still in place and doing its work. To sit in on these discussions, that might be helpful in the transition. Mm -hmm. It gets a little more dicey when you start to talk about the superintendent evaluation because the superintendent has a privacy interest in his or her evaluation. And non-board members really don't have an opportunity to see that unless, of course, the superintendent says it's okay. So that may be a discussion with the superintendent in terms of the evaluation process, in terms of whether the superintendent is agreeable to allow that person to be part of that evaluation development process. But what the the lame duck period has, while it's provided challenges for us, it's also provided some opportunities to help transition new board members in as well. And it's really up to the local board as to how they want to handle that. And, uh, Terry, if I heard you correctly, some of the boards you know have taken advantage of this extra time to try to help uh, orient the board, the new board members, newly elected board members, to their district. Is that correct? So. Absolutely. There's been a lot of outreach efforts um, on behalf of boards to their new members. And 
Um, I attended a couple of county meetings uh, within the past month. A lot of new board members also attended those county meetings and were able to ask questions and get brought up to speed. So it really has helped that mentoring process um, in, in giving them a, a good kind of orientation so that they know what to expect when they when they actually take office in, in January. Uh, Mike, now, like we said, this is the first uh, governance board reorganization in January for these boards. They Most of them had to do some type of reorganization last April or May. Um, so at that time, in, in April or May, you were reorganizing. You probably uh, appointed a school board attorney, an auditor, uh, a doctor, you know, the school doctor. How do those things fit in now uh, with the January reorganization? We, we've had a lot of we had a lot of questions about that back in April and May. We're getting a lot of questions now. Do we have to reappoint everybody? And it, there really is no definitive answer one way or another. I think you have to look at certain aspects of the contracts that are involved, the individuals that are involved, the programming that's involved. Did some boards appoint attorneys and professional services people in April with contracts that expired in December 31st? Some did. Some appointed them for the full year. I think the question that as a board and as a school district you have to look at is what makes the most sense? Do you want to put in contracts in place and programs in place that are consistent with your fiscal year and with the school year? I think that makes sense in those contexts. And for those governance issues that we revolve around the lifetime of the board, revolve those around the January meeting. For example, election of a vice president and president is established by statute. Your board governance would say you would elect them at the January meeting. The board typically adopts its policy manual for the lifetime of the board. That would take place more, most likely at the January meeting and go January to January. However, if you're hiring... Let's take the board attorney. Does it make sense to have the board attorney follow the board throughout the school year process to be consistent with that budgetary year where you've budgeted money for legal expenses and other types of contracts? I think those kinds of things make sense to do in April. Whether you call it an organization meeting or not, still makes sense to structure those contracts that way. As far as January goes, the things that relate to the lifetime of the board and board governance make the most sense. Now, Terry, as Mike was talking, I was thinking, uh, I know when I was a field service rep, and even now, a lot of new board members are very uncomfortable voting for a lot of those positions because they, they get on the board, they see the names, they don't really have a lot of information. Does it almost make sense that if they – I'm not going to say board reorganization number two, but they reorganize – uh, in April, May, with those positions, at least the the new newly elected board members have some a framework of information. Um, well, you know, there, there's two schools of thought to that. Okay. So we have a, a good lame duck period where people can be brought up to speed. Um, so I don't know that that would prevent them from actually you know, feeling as though they're in a position to vote on that. It's no when when elections were held in April. Mm -hmm. You know, board members were then uh, new and still had to vote on those things at the reorganization meeting. So I don't really think there's any difference in that. But I do think, you know, going back to what Mike said, 
I think moving forward, it's really important for boards to decide where they're going to have um, their reorganizations for different items. Uh, you know, what are we going to do in April, which makes maybe good fiscal sense or good programming sense versus the items that we're going to choose to do in, in January um, that make good sense for governance. Now, so Mike, I think you... moving forward, they're going to have to uh, really decide that issue and maybe put that in, in, in policy format. Yes, yes. Uh, and Mike, if someone decided, you know what, we just want to reorganize everything in our January meeting, uh, maybe they had, last April they appointed everyone for a year. Could they at the April meeting say we're going to reappoint someone until January? They, they, yes, sir. I mean, the length of contract term for those particular individuals, you know, public school contracts law generally for services is 24 months. For professional services, it's 12. And so when you have that time period, they could do it for six months, they could do it for 12 months, whatever they deem most appropriate to their structure. I think Terry's point, again, is very, is very well taken that you have to decide what makes the most sense. Now, one of the we talk about organization, and we've been saying April and May. It's not really a board organization because we're doing that in January. So it's really more of a review of the contracts that you have in place, the things you need to get in place for the next school year or next fiscal year. And so if you were doing it early in June or late in May, you, you, know, you I don't think you're you're certainly not bound by the timelines that a board who has an April election has for its reorganization meeting. You could do it later, so it's it, you have a little more flexibility. So, uh, getting back to the January reorganization, what do they have to do besides the, the election of the president? And and I, I assume after the president's elected, he takes the board secretary's role and presides over the meeting. After the election, the, the, the president and vice president, is there anything else that they have to do at that meeting? Uh, actually, very little. Um, it's absolutely required by law. I mean, some of those things, they, they, it'll, it'll depend on what they've done previously. For example, they will have to do an annual meeting notice within seven days after the reorganization meeting where they set forth their meetings for the upcoming year. Some of that may very well be what they had already taken care of in April. So they may just have to repeat and bring that up to date and extend it out for the next meeting, next next year. Uh, adopting the policy manual, while not required by law, is something that would make sense to do in January. Appointing the NJSBA delegate for the delegate assembly would be something they need to come up with. Um, but short of that, it really becomes a question of what makes the most sense to do it at, at the particular time. Ray, if I can speak for a minute about the election of the president and vice president, because we do okay, get I, some questions that was about gonna that. Be some, I was going to have my actually my question. My next question was going to be, how does that process work? I mean, who do you put one name out at a time? Do you put two names at a time? Three names? Uh, how does how does that work? Like so many other things with board business, it's a matter of board policy. Um, for some boards, they will nominate a particular individual. One name goes up. There's a vote that takes place. In that situation, you would need a majority of those present and voting to elect that individual or not. Some boards have a voting policy for president where they may put two or three candidates up and have a vote. If you have three candidates that the board is voting on, it is possible for the board to elect the board president by a plurality. 
I mean, if a nine-member board, you could have a 4-3-2 vote for three candidates, the four votes would win. If you put one person up, that person would need to get five votes. So it's a question of style and board policy. The the other piece that comes up with comes up if you don't elect somebody at that meeting, if you don't elect president or and or vice president, let's say you're deadlocked in a tie vote. Somebody's not present it's a four four vote. Um if you don't elect at that meeting, then the county superintendent will appoint the president or vice president. Um so if you come out of that meeting, if I understand it correctly, the, the, it's the executive county superintendent's authority to appoint uh, the president from uh, from the board. Or can you if just you have, have another not, meeting? We're going to meet the next day. And well, it would have to, it has to be at your at your organizational meeting. Now, every county, executive county superintendent handles it a little bit differently. Some will appoint on their own. Some will most will solicit some information from the board as to the candidates and and perhaps a conversation as to what the board's sentiments are in terms of selecting that. But if it doesn't occur at the organization meeting by statute, um the county, executive county superintendent is charged with that appointment. So, it's in the best interest of the board to make that decision at their organization meeting. Uh, Terry, uh, and we're talking with Terry Lewis, uh, field service representative, Mike Calber uh, from our legal department, director of legal services, uh, about board reorganization. If you want to call and ask a question, dial 1-347-989-8904 and just uh, press 1. Uh, you know, we were talking about uh, close votes or tie votes on president. That can sometimes lead a board to be a little divided right from the beginning, uh, whether it's 5-4, four, 4-3. Four, how should the the board move on from that? Well, that is a really good question. I think no matter whether you are a new board member or a veteran board member, it's important that you know that this is a team of people that you are going to be working with for the remainder of the year. You know, one board member does not have any authority. The board only has authority when it meets together as a board. So if you want to get anything done, if you want to improve things in your district, if you want to accomplish any initiatives, you have to do that as a team. So you need to be able to, right from the get-go, know that it's not personal. You know, it's business. We need to work together um, as a group, as a team, use the best collective thinking in order to accomplish a lot of the objectives that we need to. Um, I know that's easier said than done sometimes, um, you know, and if there are hard feelings after that, there's certain outreach that board presidents can do to take place. Sometimes it's good to have a meeting just to talk about those issues. Yeah, that's good. Say, good you know, what do we have to do to get past this? Because we have a lot on our plate. We want to move this forward. We want to provide the best education for kids that we can in our district. So, you know, let's clean up what we can here so that we can move forward with that mission. Uh, Mike, there's a significant number of uh, school districts that are in sending-receiving relationships, uh, so I, I have a couple of questions on that. Um, does the re does the sending board um, have to appoint their uh, their uh, representative at the reorganization meeting? Well, it, it's going to depend on when their reorganization meeting is. If you have a sending board whose election is the same as the receiving board, what the statute says is the sending board should appoint its representative at a point closest in time to that of the receiving board's organization meeting. 
if you're an April sending board and a November election receiving board, I, it would appear that the December board meeting would be the time for this for the for the sending district to appoint its representative for the for the receiving board. Um, if you're a November sending board with a an April receiving board, it would appear that that March or May April meeting would be the one to appoint. It's not. I don't believe it's as critical an issue right now as it used to be because of a fairly recent uh, this appellate division decision involving the Atlantic City Board of Ed back in 2008, which 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 really uh, limited the number of things that sending district representatives could vote on and limited it to what was set forth in the statute. And key to that is that the board president and vice president is not something that the sending representative needs to vote can vote on. So that being said, there used to be a lot more discussion because that individual was going to vote for the president or vice president. That's no longer the case, but they still need to get to the receiving board. They still need to be sworn in as board members. So, okay. So the, there's the, the time uh, – the, you're right. It used to be a time factor, and now it's it's even a little bit more difficult because everyone's reorganizing within one week – or most everyone's reorganizing within one week. Um, you know, I'm going to go back a little bit. Who sets the agenda for the board reorganization meeting? Mike? Oh, okay. I didn't know who you were asking. Oh, I was asking you. <laughs> Terry didn't okay. jump in because um, it, because it's really it's really what it is. It's it's a policy question. The uh, however a board sets its agenda, that's how the agenda gets set. It's typically going to be set by the old board in a sense, just as the old board has to advertise for the for the organization meeting. Typically, boards will set an agenda with the president and the superintendent establishing the agenda. If the reorganization is limited to simply the swearing in of board members and um, the election of the president and vice president and some of those other ministerial duties, not too difficult to set that agenda. Sometimes, however, you may get a more you know some issues that actually that need to be done at the reorg meeting. It's going to depend on what the board's uh, policy is with respect to agenda setting. Uh, Terry, let's talk a little bit about the new board member. Uh, what are some questions that they have? For you, it may not be specifically a reorganization issue, but when they get when they get to that first meeting, what makes them the most nervous? You know, we we get a lot of these. We talk to a lot of new board members, and um, I think one of the big ones is when they when you look at a typical reorganization uh, agenda, there's usually a lot on it. Um, maybe not so much this year because some of that may have been done in April. But there's always a lot of, you know, appointments um, and whatnot, and most board members look at it and go, if I'm new, oh, my gosh, is it always like this? And it's mm -hmm. really not. I mean, a lot of that is just typical to uh, reorganization gen agendas. Um, the other question is, if, if, I, if I have a question, who do I ask? You know, you can always ask the board president. You can always ask the superintendent. Those doors are always open. You can always ask anyone from New Jersey school boards, um, whether it's a legal question, policy question, governance question. I mean, you can pick up the phone. All these people are available to you. So don't ever think that any question is 
You know, nobody wants to ask a dumb question. There's no such thing as a dumb question, and there's a lot of resources available to you. Um, just make sure that you utilize those. Uh, maybe some other ones would be, you know, what should I be doing to prepare? I would, if if I were a new board member and those outreaches had not already happened, I would be doing that on my own. I'd call the superintendent, introduce myself. Can I come in? Can I have a meeting? Can you show me what the agenda is possibly going to look like for the reorganization meeting? What should I expect at that meeting? What are you going to expect of me? Um and a lot of things, you know, Mike already touched on it before, but, you know, confidential information and I think knowing what you can talk about in open and closed session. Um, I think it's really important that you know that before you attend your first board meeting. Yes. Um, Mike, I have one other question on uh, uh, the voting of the board president. I forgot to ask this one. and. You kind of alluded to it, but I, I is the is the vote. Uh, I've heard people say they want to do it by paper ballot. They want to do a show of hands or a voice vote, uh, which is uh, they do have to make it a public vote, though, right? You do have to be able. To, the business administrator, board secretary, in the minutes needs to be able to reflect who voted and how. So, I mean, we've heard of boards, for instance, doing it. You've mentioned a paper ballot. There may be some concern about who's voting for who and not wanting to be influenced by a prior voice vote type of thing. And some boards are uncomfortable with that. They'll do the paper ballot. When that occurs, though, the uh, business administrator, board secretary, who's tallying the votes would need to publicly announce who voted for whom so that it can be reflected in, in, in the record. So it's never a secret ballot. Never a secret ballot. Uh, I should get to one thing, and you know, one of our last shows was on the Sunshine Law and uh, participation in, in uh, board meetings. Uh, what about uh, video conferencing or some other means of participating in the board meeting, a uh, reorganization meeting? Uh, is would that be okay? No different than any other meeting in terms of your use of video conferencing. We we talk about this a lot in terms of there not being definitive cases in New Jersey to address the issue and the fact that the Sunshine Law talks about participating by means of communication equipment. Um, what we would tell districts, we recommend that if you do that, have a strong board policy in place that speaks to how you're going to do either the video conferencing or the speakerphone in, and protect the interests of the public so they can witness the deliberations and operations of the meeting. There's a mi there's mixed bag of case law and some attorney general opinions that were out there. I will tell you that different state agencies use speakerphone and video conferencing to run their meetings because they can't get quorums to Trenton. So those kinds of things occur, but we don't have anything definitive yet. Uh, if you're going that direction, have a firm policy. Talk to your board attorney before you move forward. And um, I don't know how you would do this, but I, I'm sure I guess you could. If, you, if someone can participate in the meeting, I guess they could be sworn in that way, or does that have to be in person? That's that's a great question. I mean, if that's the situation you were handling it, I would suggest having the person in the jurisdiction in which the um, the non the, the remote board member is located, uh, do the swearing in. 
so that there's no question that they're licensed in that area to take take the oath. So if somebody is in Florida on vacation and have someone who is licensed to take oaths and oaths in Florida to administer that. Or if you can wait until the reorg meeting until after the reorg meeting when the person comes back, you know, that's that's always helpful too. But if the person wants to participate they need to be sworn in. So that would be, I think you're gonna use the remote swearing in process. I uh, hopefully I don't think that's going to occur too often. Um, no, not very often at all. Um, Ray, if I can if I can raise one other question okay. that we get, sometimes the question comes up where, and particularly now with criminal history review checks for new board members, um, there uh, and and not only that but other possible perceived conflict of interest situations, we get questions about can the board refuse to seat a duly elected member because there is a perceived conflict of interest or lack of compliance with certain qualifications. As a general rule, what I would say is the board does not have the authority not to seat a, a duly elected member. They would need to seat that individual and then move forward with whatever determinations need to be done about the uh, conflict of interest or criminal history review check issue or whatever residency or wherever else may be in play. But with the long time period now, you would have – in previous elections, you only had a, a couple of weeks. Now you have uh, two months. Um, and I, actually, I do know of a case where someone was not allowed to sit. The, they were – the school ethics committee felt it was a conflict. Uh, so uh, it's a case I believe you're talking about with the uh, former employee who was receiving right. uh, sick leave reimbursement payments over a three-year period. Right. Yes. So uh, I guess hopefully with the uh, you have a little bit more time with the lame duck session to kind of prepare for those types of at least clear up the the situation. I guess is uh, legally. Um. Terry, um, I was going to ask you one other thing, and it just, I just lost my mind on it. It just flew out of my mind, and it doesn't usually happen. But uh, we, let's go back to preparing for this new meeting. Um, for the new board member, the, oh, I know, it's the committees. How, how do we set the committees? Because maybe you have a budget committee, and the board member who's on the budget committee lost the election. Uh, do would you recommend that they look at the committee structure at the reorganization meeting or soon thereafter? You know, committee structures, um, that's a policy question. And um, the board needs to look at what their policy says about appointing committees. Um, generally, it's the role of the board president, but they need to follow what is in their policy as far as um, putting together committees if they are, in fact, acting with committees and not as a committee of the whole. And, should that, and Mike would probably have more info on that, so feel free to jump in there, Mike. <laughs> well, no, I, I, Terry, you, you hit the nail exactly on the head. It's a question of board policy. Who appoints people to the committee? Typically the president. I mean, there's there's often a question about how much authority the president has generally, and the simple answer is it's the president has whatever authority the board gives to the president. One of those areas typically is appointment to and, and perhaps even creation of that appointment to committees, uh, development of the committee structure, even creation of ad hoc committees, but it's all a matter of board policy. So uh, would the committee – I guess my question is would the committee fit more in the April fiscal or would the committees fit more in the governance? So I would assume they'd be more in the governance structure, uh, not that they have to be done at the reorganization because the president 
may take time, particularly on some committees that may not meet for a, a while. Yeah, I think it, that would make sense. Oh, Terry, go ahead. Oh, that's all right. If it were me, I would make it more of a governance structure. I mean, I would start it in January, um, only because if you have outgoing board members and you have um, open seats on committees, um, you, you know, you may have a person coming in who has absolutely no interest in finance, but the only uh, committee seat open is on finance. So you you really want to put your your um, your fellow board members into the committees where they can do their best work and where they have areas of interest. So I would say, I, you know, if it were me, I'd leave it in January. And but again, I, and I would you, know, agree. you have to go with what your policy says, and I'm sorry, Mike, I cut you off again. No, it's okay. Because uh, I would agree with you, Terry, with, with one caveat, and that is you may have a particular committee that is in the middle of whatever it is they're doing. And so perhaps your policy may give the board president a little discretion to and to allow that committee to rather com, rather than completely restructure it in terms of the membership allow that committee to move forward i'm thinking for instance uh you may have a finance committee that's working on budget development and you may have been doing yeah. that for a couple of months and you're moving towards you know that budget to, does it make sense to bring a whole new group in probably not not in january same thing with negotiations. Perhaps, yeah, so I was going to mention negotiations. Yeah. Uh, but would the, if you're a new board member, uh, a new, newly elected board member, would you recommend that you talk to the, the board and say, here are some of my areas of interest? Not that the board president has to point them to those committees, but uh, express their interest in certain areas, Terry? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the board presidents out there actually talk to new board members to ascertain that. You know, nobody wants to put together um, a governance structure um, that's going to be full of strife. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, you want to give people the opportunity to say, you know, these are the areas that I have interest in, um, and, and these are what my strengths are. Um, this is what I feel as though I can bring, and leave it up to the president to then try to set up, you know, a, a good situation uh, as far as a committee structure um, for the for the strongest board possible that they can put forth. That being said, you know, you, you can't be upset if you didn't get, you know, your first choice because maybe there are other people there, you know, like Mike said, that have already been involved in an initiative and they want to stay on that committee because they haven't finished their work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of a yes and no. Yep, you, you should make that known and most board presidents ask that information up front before they do that. But at the same time, don't be upset if this year, you know, your first year, that you don't get the assignment that you wanted. Uh, Mike, we've been talking generally. The, we're looking at boards that were elected in uh, November and moving forward. Uh, is reorganization the same in whether you're an appointed board too, or um, a county vocational, or any, any other type of board? They're, they're all pretty much the same. The the structure of the meeting and the events that take place and the actions that get taken, yes. Depending on what kind, if you're an appointed board, a type one board, your reorganization is going to take place um, on May 16th or the following day, if, or if that's a Sunday. This year it's Wednesday, May 16th. 
if you're in a, a, a county votech or an educate ed services commission or county special services districts they're at different times of the year as well but the structure and the uh, and the organization of that meeting is pretty much the same one of the interesting developments with ed services commissions and county special services districts is that the new language in the new law and the amendment with respect to January organization being the first week in January, there's similar language for the special services school districts and ed services commissions, ed service commission being the first week in June, special services districts the first two weeks in July. So when the Department of Ed had to look at that time frame and figure out, well, what just what does that mean, they have been consistent in saying, so now – it's 1 through 7 or 1 through 14. So for your okay. Ed Services Commissions, they're taking the same tact on that. But it was something they had to look at in looking at the new January election. All right. Uh, that, organization, rather. That was the last word. I'd like to thank uh, Mike. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ray. And Terry, uh, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It was great. Uh, that brings us to the end of this uh conversation on New Jersey education. Uh, we will not have our next show until after the new year. So I'd like to wish everyone a happy holiday season, happy new year, and uh, talk to you next year. Thank you.